I'm getting old, but I'm not old yet. I'm already worried that I might forget how to laugh, how to love, how to live, how to learn. I wanna die with a smile when it comes my turn. I don't wanna get weary. I don't wanna get bored. I don't wanna get tired of walking. And we are going. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Hide Button Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Belanger. Today's episode is brought to you by ProLineStadium.com, Atlantic Canada's home field for great sports betting. Football season is back. There's a great promo right now where you could earn up to $100 in free play tokens. Every $20 wager on football on ProLine or stadium bets will earn you $5 in a free play token to use for football winning margins. That means you can place your bet on money lines, over-unders, and spreads to start earning free play tokens for use on football winning margins. This offer is valid to up to 20 tokens from September 5th to October 16th. Free play tokens must be used by October 31st. Get in the game today at ProLineStadium.com or download the ALC app for all the best odds, single game betting, and an all-star lineup of the top sports leagues from around the world. Please play responsibly. Must be 19 years of age or older. Today on the High Button Podcast, we have one of my favorite artists coming out of Atlantic Canada, David Miles. Growing up in Fredericton, New Brunswick, David is a Juno Award winner. You might have heard one of his classic songs with Classified, Inner Ninja, where he won a Juno. He has also won a bunch of East Coast Music Awards. He has traveled around the world uh, performing his songs, and you've definitely heard David over the year. His history goes all the way back until 2003. From what I can see on the internet, I'm sure he's been playing music a lot longer than that. Uh, David is a vet in this music industry, and I love talking to anyone that's involved in the entertainment industry as a whole and uh, picking their brains and seeing how they maneuver their way in this industry because it's definitely an interesting uh, business to to, to choose the entertainment um, business. And if, and if you can find some success in it, I've always admired those individuals. And David is je- is definitely one of those individuals. Um, and on top of that, he, he makes incredible music that we all like to listen to. So without any further ado, this is the David Miles Podcast. I'm Justin Belanger, and this is the High Button Podcast. Here we go. You know what comes next. David Miles, we are going. Welcome to the High Button Podcast, as we like to call it. How are you, sir? I'm great. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to see you survived, uh, Fiona. I know a lot of other people, Not you know, it was a tough go, but uh, to be able to make it through the other side and uh, I guess see the light of day, it's a good feeling to be here. Man, it sure is. It sure is. It's actually kind of interesting just to be traveling east, you know, like I'm living in Fredericton, so to be coming east, you kind of get a sense of the storm a lot more. Yeah. Just my trip here, coming down Quinnpool, Halifax, you're kind of like, Wow, man, it's a serious, serious storm. You know, every once in a while we forget where we live. Yeah. How you know? Mother Nature's real. It's serious, serious business. And when you're out on the on the on the ocean like that, you know, like we are, it's intense, man. But it wasn't as in Fredericton. It was pretty mild. You know, it definitely like it was windy and crazy, but not like it was in Shediac, not like it was here, not like it was in PEI. I mean, PEI, crazy Cape Breton, Newfoundland. It's tragic, man. It's it's full tragedy. You know. So no, it's it's but it's good to be out. It's good to be down here. I'm going to see a lot of friends. It's nice to be back. 
Yeah, you can bring, uh, you can uplift, uplift some spirits around That's this That's my park. goal. That's my job, always. 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 <laughs> That's good. But no, you're right. Like seeing some of the photos on the internet, on Facebook and around, you're like, oh, I, I said it on the last podcast. It could always be worse. It's like I'm out back yesterday raking some leaves up in the front. I'm all miserable. And then I take a drive around the town and I see people with trees on the home. And I'm like, oh, Justin, stop complaining. Everything's fine. That's right. But uh, yeah, it could always be worse. And uh, once again, happy to have you here. You can uplift, uh, uplift uplift some of our listeners thank you um big fan of your talent you're you're a pretty talented individual you know how to uh you you know how to sing into a microphone and you know how to entertain the general public at what age did you go david i started i started pretty young man like i didn't i didn't start singing for a long time but i grew up in a musical family i'm the youngest of four boys okay so big family Lots of activity, you know, everybody's playing piano. Dad, I had a really strict dad. So, and, and mom, but dad was particularly strict. So like, it was like a, not, it wasn't a choice. Playing music was like, everybody did piano lessons. Everybody played another instrument. Everybody did this, you know? And so there was music around the house. It was tons and tons of music, but it was, and dad directed musicals at the high school, at Fredericton High School. He was like the guy who did the musical. So there was just, it was always happening. I'm being the youngest. I didn't even think of myself as the musician in the family, like ever really, until I was quite a bit older. I didn't think it was going to be my career. I always loved it. So it was, I knew I loved music. I basically always felt like I loved music more than anybody else in the world. I was like, you can't, no one can like it as much as me. I just listened to it constantly. You know, and but it wasn't a real career. Like again, having strict parents, it wasn't like, oh yeah, you should be a musician. It was like, no, that's not a real job. You're gonna be, you know, do this, do this. So like, my brothers are, are two of them have PhDs. One of them's a, a medical doctor. They're all doctors. So like, you know, it's serious business. So just saying like, oh yeah, I'm gonna be a folk singer. It wasn't really an easy call. I did a, a bunch of other stuff, but I always played music. And then just got to a point where I was like, you know what, I, I'm gonna. I'm going to just do this. I'm going to try this out. I'm going to give this a real legitimate go. I had bought a guitar, started writing songs, and I was like, I love this. This is what I want to do. So I said, I'm going to take a little break. I'm going to make an album. That was like 2003. So it's been almost 20 years. I mean, you know, I just put up my 15th record. It's like, and with each record, I'm like, is it going to be the last one? Like, when's this, when's it going to, when's the curtain going to close? You know what I mean? Like, I'm just taking it as I can. I love it. I love it. Well, what did your old man do? You said he was strict, but he was in the, the musicals at school. What, what did he yeah, do? Well, he directed the music. He was a biology teacher. He was a high school teacher. Oh, my mom say military. No, no, I know. It's funny because I was saying that. Like, I was thinking a lot of people, especially around Fredericton. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. it's kind of like, sometimes I run into military dudes and they're talking about their, their parents and I'm like, yeah, it's funny. Like maybe it is kind of similar, you know, <laughs> but yeah, he was just old school, high expectations, really, really high expectations. You know, I think he, I don't, I don't resent it. It was good. It was good. He was a great, you know, he was a great dad and, and he was, but he was strict and, and he just wanted the best out of us. And he knew he was the type of person that knew that, you could always do more than you think you can. But music wasn't one of those things, you know? <laughs> you got to get a real job. That, that's not, but it was, but you kind of get that. But the basis of his education is his style was more like your potential is always way higher than you think it is. You, you'll put the bar here. I'm going to put the bar here. And it was kind of like that. That's how he, he raised us. And my, again, my brothers are crazy. My brother Sean was on the on the main page of the New York Times this morning. He just texted no. me, yeah, man, for his Apple research in the Valley in Wolfville. 
New York Times this morning. It was crazy. Awesome. I'm so proud of my bros. Like, they're great. They're great. But a lot of it had to do with the fact that, like, it was no no joking around at, at home, like, when it came to that stuff. So, yes. Yeah, Holy smokes, <laughs> yeah, man. The genes on your dad. Oh, he's breeding you guys, right? <laughs> he was driven, man. I think, I think, I mean, it's funny that we're getting into this, but I think part of it was just, like, he grew up poor, youngest of eight, no money. And he was determined that that was he was going to turn it around. You know what I mean? Like he was not that we were going to become rich, but that we were going to be like well educated and well suited to take on the world. That was his. He was just determined. He was absolutely focused, and to the point where it was like kind of intense. You know what I mean? And but it was. I, I kind of get it now. You know, I'm like, he's youngest of eight. They had nothing. They were, they had no dough. You know I mean? He had no security. And so he was like, this is, I got one generation. A lot of people feel this way, right? Like a lot of people who are real strict is because they came from a situation with high stakes. Yeah. I'm like, I'm not going to repeat this. This, this is going to be the generation that, that we change this, you know? And he didn't go on and, and become, he, he did what, you know, he became a teacher and then focused on his students and, and us, you know? So it's neat. I always found when I started this podcast, it was tough for me to go into social situations and they go, Justin, what are you doing for a living? I go, I'm starting a podcast. And that wasn't really the most satisfying thing for other people to hear. Because, you know, when you say I'm being a lawyer, I'm going to try yeah, yeah. to be a doctor. I'm going to try to be an astronaut. I'm going to, you know, and, and then you go, okay, I'm David Miles. I'm going to be a singer, but my brothers are doctors and lawyers. Was that ever tough at the beginning to try to convince people about your talent? Come on, big time. Man. Was it? Forever. Yeah. I mean, when I told my parents and, and, and for a lot of people, again, because I think that like, I did other things. Like I did, I did go to university. I studied political science. I even did like an internship. I even did my LSATs. I was going to go to law school for the sake, like it was, it was all kind of set up, but it just got to this point. It actually was my, one of my brothers. I called my brother and I was like, this is before I did, went to, did my LSATs. I was going to take a job in politics. And my brother, I called my brother and I was like, man, I think I'm going to stay in Toronto. I was working at the Ontario legislature. And I was like, man, I think I'm going to stay in Toronto. I was 22. And my brother is a doctor. Uh, he's, he called, I'm talking to him. I'm like, I'm 90, 90% sure I'm going to do this. You know? And he's like, listen, man, you said when you were in high school, you were going to take a year off and try music. You didn't. You said when you finished university, you were going to take a year off, try music. You didn't. Now you're telling me that you're going to take this job. He's like, listen, I, I went right through. He became a medical doctor, 25 years old. He was already practicing, you know, really young. He was, and he was like, I didn't take any time off. I've definitely thought about how it wouldn't have changed that much had I taken a year off somewhere in there and tried something else. You know what I mean? He's like, now's your time. And I went from like being kind of like, I'm going to stay in Toronto, work this type of work probably go to law school, you know, maybe work for an NGO or do something like that, do legal work or whatever. I didn't know, but it was going to be like policy, even though I was obsessed with music. Uh Like I was writing songs, I was playing open mics, I was in. But I just couldn't quite imagine that it was like a viable career. And my brother just kind of gave me this slap and was just like, bro, this is your chance. Like now you take it. And so I was like, I think you're right. I took a year made my first record, did my LSATs <laughs> as, so I could like, please, my, I was like, don't worry, mom and dad, doing my LSATs, made my first record and then started touring that record, made my second record, made my third record. And then just like, was like, oh my goodness. So I, it's like much to my parents' chagrin. They came around, of course, like they came, they're not, they're not, 
they're great. My parents are great. My dad's no longer with us, but my, my you know, they're, they were great. My dad was a great dad. My mom, and they really did come around. They were at all my shows. But no doubt, man, for that first little bit, when you're going around and being like, yeah, you know what? I decided to, I'm not going to go to law school. I'm, I'm going to write folk songs. I'm going to tour the country with my guitar and just me and my guitar and just like <laughs> sleep on people's couches. And that's what I did, man, for years. I'm thinking of that movie where the guy carries the cat around. Yeah, man, that was it. The, the Coen Brothers movie. Yeah. Yeah, it was like not unlike that. Like, I mean, it was honestly. And it, had it not been from coming from a huge family, I wouldn't have had nearly as many couches to sleep on. I knew so many people around the country because I came from a small town, smallish town, Fredericton. Everybody seemed to know each other. A lot of them my dad taught. So I've, it felt like every town I went to, I could call someone and be like, hey, man, do you mind if I crash? I'm, I'm the youngest of the Miles kids. Do you think I can crash on your couch? <laughs> I'm just dropping the family name. <laughs> I'm the youngest. <laughs> little sympathy for the youngest. Exactly, yeah, yeah. man. So that's how it was. So yeah, of course, dude. It's hard to, t- hard to tell people that that's what you're doing. But it's fun to see them coming around. It's fun to try to convince people that, I like a good challenge, man. It's the same as starting a podcast, right? Yeah. Best thing you can have in some ways is someone say, no, you can't. And you're like, let's go. Yeah. That's, fu- that's kind of fun. Like resistance. If you don't have anything to work against, then what are you doing? Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. I, I find at that level, it's you versus yourself. Like I, I never honestly, believe it or not, had someone go, you can't do it. I ever went, yeah, you can do it. Justin, go for it. I never had that. But at the point where it's like, it's, it's you versus yourself. Okay. How do I get this next guest? Okay. Now what do I talk about with this next guest? How do I get, it was always me versus myself at that point, but getting to those points, it was, uh, a hundred percent commitment. I, you know, when you talk about taking your L stats, obviously you're studying and not writing songs. What was that point for you where I got to leave this studying to be a, a lawyer in the L stats? When, when was that point of leaving it behind and just going a hundred percent music? What, it was re- pretty clear. Like, I think I knew it before I even did what that. year, you know, this was 2004, like right when I fit, yeah. right. It was 2004, 2005, right when I was making that first record, I would say in some ways I almost remember, like I remember, so basically, I had been a music obsessive. I played trumpet, played school band, was always into music heavy. Again, didn't think it was going to be my career. Didn't know how I'd play trumpet professionally. Then I lived in China. My third year university, I did an exchange what? and lived in Hangzhou, China. I studied Mandarin for a year. Had no friends. Tons of time by myself. Bought a $30 guitar and just started playing it. And I was like, wow, you know... I don't, I guess I just didn't see how I'd be a trumpet player professionally. And as soon as I got that guitar and started singing and writing it, I wrote my first song in like a week. Like as soon as I got that guitar, started learning three chords. I was like, I turned it into a song. And then I was like, oh buddy, this is what I love. I think I knew almost at that point that I was like, there's no way that I like anything as much as I like the feeling of creating a song. That's when it all, you know, oh, I just okay. was in denial you. for a couple of years, if you know what I'm saying. I like, got you. I, I was in it. Yeah. And then it turned into, yeah, me kind of leading people on, thinking I was going to take this job. But ultimately, in the back of my mind, again, like every bit of free time I was writing these songs, it was probably 2004, put that record out, did my first shows where I was affirmed that what I believed, what I felt, could actually turn into something, which was like those first times when you play your songs for an audience. You know what I'm saying? When I like, sure, I loved writing songs, but you can love writing songs and then perform them for people and go, yikes. But what happened was I, I performed for people and people were like, man, that's pretty cool. In China? Started, I did do a couple of shows in China. No way. Happened in Toronto. But then I, once I put that record out and really hit the road, Yeah. you know, it's after university, a couple of years later. 
But even in China, I did a couple of shows. So my really my first time performing my songs was definitely there, definitely there no for way. sure because it was a totally safe. I didn't know anybody. It wasn't was like my say. dad was in the crowd. It wasn't like my brothers were in the crowd or my friends. Yeah, there's it, was that intimidating just factor? Open, a no, bit? not at all. It was it like was, there's nothing to lose, right? Like you could just really I don't even test know what I'm saying. Exactly, it's great. It was open open you know so i think sometimes that's important you know is to have that experimentation and but it was really it was really a little later on when i started doing my first shows where i would have even 10 15 people in a kind of quieter environment where i would be kind of telling stories playing guitar talking in between songs talking about where songs come from singing those songs that i was like oh this this is a thing this is a career like I can entertain people like this. It was like not I can I can write songs, but then there's this entertainment thing that I love. I mean, that was the other piece of it is that again I'm the youngest. Like uh, I needed to entertain my family, or I wasn't getting fed. Like I wasn't getting any attention That's at funny. all. That's funny. I think it's like super. I was just talking to Steve Patterson, the comedian. He was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And he he's the youngest. You know, Jeremy Dutcher is the youngest of four boys. Like so many people in the entertainment industry that I know are the youngest of these big families because like how else are you going to get attention man there's like so i all of a sudden i got in front of people (laughs) i got in front of people and i was like i kind of like this i think i you know what i mean i i I have a i can do this was it was there stage fright at the beginning or did that come natural that's the weirdest thing in the world that was the part that there that was not really i had played in cover bands so it wasn't the first time on stage i had been on stage but again, singing my own songs, I had played in party bands and rock people, you know, this was a different thing. This was like talking about my feelings, talking to 15 people in a coffee shop in Calgary, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Telling stories. And all of a sudden, but I'm like, no, no, this is, this is working. This is something. This is like a, this is, this is entertainment in a, in an interesting way. Let's, let's move forward. So then it would just became doing shows. Then it just became like making records, doing shows. How did the maneuvering of finding an agent and representation come about? Are you going to these coffee shops in Calgary by yourself? Hey, David Miles, do you want to come do this? At what point do you go, ooh, okay, I can't keep track of all this? How, it was how a that few work? years later. Yeah. So there was a good three or four years of booking my own, calling bars. Did you like that part of it? I am so glad I did it. Why? Just because I learned. What did you learn? I learned so much about the industry. I learned about that you're not going to get given anything. Like it's not, you have to create the audience. It's an exchange. It's, it's a, it is a business and there has to be an audience that's interested in what you do that pays a certain amount that goes and see you do that thing on stage. Mm. And until if it's, if you kind of jump those hoops, you see what I'm saying? And you get put in front of big audiences. You'll fail. Well, you, sometimes it works, but it's important. Exactly. If sometimes sometimes things happen too quick. I, for me, it was like I was I, I was so appreciative of the fact I didn't love the I didn't love calling bars. It's hard. It was humiliating. Tons of the times I'd show up to the bar and they'd be like, "Who? Oh man!" Like I had guys being like, "Oh no one." I'd literally have driven like eight hours, show up at the bar, and the guys like, "No one's gonna show up tonight." And I was like, "Right on, man. Let's go." You know. So, but. At the same time, that's you do learn. Then you're like, okay, let's get people here. Let's go. Let's have a good show, and and then you win those people over slowly. And you do figure out like, I got to be good at this thing. Managers are. I love my manager. I've had the same manager for 15 years. She's insane. She's amazing. Sherry <laughs> Jones. She manages Cordy Sampson and Joel Plaskett, and Mo Kenny. She's a dream. Super close. But managers, 
they manage interest. They don't create interest. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's probably this is similar in sports. You still have to be able to perform. You are the driver of the interest in what you do. And so I think that that was important for me to have those years and kind of go, okay, this is what a show looks like. This is what, this is what money, this is how money comes in. This is how tickets are sold or the door at that point, you know, it was just door deals and whatever. And then just getting a sense of that a few years later, you know, I had enough going on. I had done enough tours that I started contacting agents, sending like handwritten letters. I mean, it's crazy to think how much stuff's changed. And then, and then Sherry, Came, and then I moved back to Nova Scotia, started making a career here in Nova Scotia, met Sherry Jones, had a couple songs that did pretty well. And then we started working together. Then I had, you got an agent and all those things, which was great. I mean, they were, they've been a huge part of, I've had this, a great agent for all those years. But again, like those early years, I don't resent them. In fact, I'd almost say like, if you're not willing to do that, then some, then I don't know if you're really going to be cut out for it in some ways. Like it's important to kind of get a sense of, this is the backbone doesn't change whether you got an agent or a manager there. The, the essence of what you're doing is still showing up, entertaining people, creating demand, hopefully enough demand to sell tickets. Yeah. I asked classified the same question when the money starts to come in and the success starts to come in. Was there ever a point in your head that you kind of thought, Ooh, you know, maybe I am kind of comfy. I got this nice King size bed. I have, you know, time to relax and maybe that motivation will go away. Did you ever think about that? Obviously it didn't go away, but was there ever a point like, Ooh, maybe there will be a point where I'm just I not as hungry. I've just never been. Hmm. I don't know. That's a good question. You know, I don't think it certainly wasn't, I never was in a position where I was financially comfortable enough uh, to just cool my jets. Put your feet just, up. That just hasn't happened. You know, it'd be nice. <laughs> but I used to think, I think what's really changed is that I used to think that's what I wanted. I used to think that that's what it was all about, especially when I started getting closer to it, when it started to happen, when I started to, you know, like with, with Classified Night, when we had the big hit. I was like, whew, buddy. You know, there was moments where that was going like going to pop into the top 40 in America. You add zeros to your checks at that point. You know what I mean? Like it starts to get serious. I remember being like, Ooh, buddy, you know, like this is going to go and we're going to be on easy street. You Did know? you know right away that that song was yeah, going like to go in the studio? We were fired up. You knew right away. We were, were just... fired up. I think we thought it was special. You didn't know it would get to that. Never. No, no one expected the timing of that. There's so many other elements. There's so many other factors. Did we think we had something special? I think for sure. I think we thought we had something special almost from the get go of, he and I working together. I thought Day Doesn't Die was special. I thought that track was great. You know, I thought it was almost like the when we first started working together and we're still super close was that more like, oh, we're we're gonna do something great because we were covering between the two of us, we were covered yeah. so much ground. Yeah. And we were so different, but we loved being in the studio. We loved the creative part so much, man. Like we just loved the the excitement around when a song starts to happen. No one, to this day, no one gets as fired up as Luke does at, when a song's going good. And he says the same thing. Like, that's what we lit. We're jumping up and down. We're high-fiving. <laughs> we're, like, partying in the studio when stuff's going good. Not everybody's like that. A lot of people are like, oh, yeah, that's kind of cool. That's kind of cool. Yeah, maybe I'll sleep on it and see you tomorrow. I'm like, sleep on it? I can't. I'm, I'm too fired up, man. <laughs> and Luke's the same way. Classes just goes and goes. So... No, I think we knew we had something special, but yeah, through all that, you know, there was moments where I was kind of going, yeah, maybe we, you know, maybe we do this again, or maybe I'll start writing pop songs and then, and then I'll, then I'll just not have to work or whatever. I can just, then I realized like, 
probably just because it didn't happen in that way. And I realized, especially during the pandemic, I, where I couldn't tour, all I wanted to do was make music. I was like, well, what am I doing? I mean, I picked this because I love it. Hmm. So do I really just want to retire? Like, is, am I really trying to build this thing where I just like hopefully get in, get out? No, I actually, now I'm like, no, man, eight, I want to go like Willie Nelson. I want to be like 90. I want to still love it at 90. I still want to be doing shows like Symphony Nova Scotia like I'm doing this weekend. Like with like, yeah. you know, when I'm like 85, you know, that's more my game now. It's more like, no, let's keep the passion. Like even if it means slow and steady, let's find ways to stay, stay engaged. Don't rather than feeling like so overwhelmed or so much pressure that I want to quit. Yeah. That's my biggest thing with this is try, it can come, it can become a little bit repetitive and I still, I don't struggle to find passion in it, but I struggle to find new ways to challenge myself. Do you know what I mean? I, and, that's it. When you say Willie Nelson, you want to be doing this at 90, it's like, I want to be doing the same thing, but I still need to be able to find ways to, I, I need to find struggle in order to find happiness. You know, with I remember when we first started the live stream, I couldn't connect to the internet for a second to stream these hockey games and parents were calling me saying, what are you doing? We paid you for this, yada, yada. And at the time I hated it, but then I came back home. I'm like, no, I need that. Cause now I got to figure out how to do it. Right. And now we're doing tournaments, 150 games a weekend and we're killing it. But it's th those struggles that, uh, that I, that I seek to find. And if I don't have them, I'm, well, I'm toast. I, th I think you're right. And I think it's about also seeing them as such. It's hard to see them yeah. as such when you're in them. I didn't see them for the first five years. Like, well, I do, I just get so frustrated. Of course. Like, oh, what? I got to do that. I don't. And then you just kind of switch like, Oh, no, wait, that's good. Cause that means you're growing when you figure it out. It takes a bit to figure that lesson out, but it does. Yeah. And that's, that's the kind of perspective I just want to be able to keep in my mind. Yeah. You know, that's what I'm trying to keep in my mind all the time. It's just like how to stay fresh, how to stay in that growth mentality. And then it means challenging yourself. That means like, as, as you said, like through the pandemic, so many different things came my way. Yeah. But then when I started to overcome some of them, started making music from home, for instance, I was like, now this it opened up this, world that was extremely exciting to me so cool. you know it's, it's i'm in a different place than i was four years ago entirely wicked mm -hmm. um writing songs I, i'm not gonna lie and sit here and say i know everything about it i know nothing about writing songs and, and stringing a guitar I'm, I'm, I'm jealous i wish i had the talent but what's the process like with you is it 4 a.m is it in the morning is it after four coffees is it is it right now like you know when 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 does it when does the mood strike in order to write yeah it's kind of I usually don't when I'm touring. Like there's certain times where I don't tend to write, okay. I would say. Like when that's when I'm in this zone, you know, where I'm like getting ready to tour, when a record's just getting put out, that kind of thing. I would say that's a time when I'm not necessarily right there, like creatively. I like to have my, I like to give myself space. Like you that's like what to I've get learned. away? Even in my house. Oh, even, yeah. even just space in terms of time. Like often my best writing time is like, Kids are off to school, 10 o'clock, I've had a coffee, maybe a couple coffees. I know that I have this like window ahead of me before anybody's home again. I got this like six hour window, gold. You know, during the pandemic, I had the kids, during the first of the pandemic, I had the kids home with me. My wife has got a regular job. Then like we would like 5.30, we'd switch out. And I knew I had like a five hour window at night. I had a little shed in my backyard okay i'd pop back there most productive days of my life man oh yeah because as soon as i went out there i was like i've done my i've done my my due diligence like i have been with the family all day yeah no one's it's a pandemic no one's stopping by i'm not doing anything <laughs> else let's let's go and I, honestly it was like 
It was amazing. It was, it was amazing. Like I, in fact, I've realized more and more that now that's going to be the challenge moving forward is just to always make sure that I create that space mm. as in no interruptions, you know, if it means going out into the woods or whatever, that's good too. Like for, for me, it's more just distractions, just being able to like loosen my mind, get into the periphery, get into like digging in the dirt a little bit, experimenting, singing out loud where there's no one around. You can't be self-conscious. You can't be thinking like, you know, there's people in the van. It's kind of hard, right? A lot of it comes out of just like mumbling in the air, singing oh, yeah. in the air. Tons. Just like whistling to it. Whistling, you know. singing, whatever. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, that's actually, a, that might be something. Then you take it a step further and then you kind of like, it's almost like you see something in the distance and then you got to, and that's the exciting part. You're like, oh, I see it. Like I see there's a song. There's a song. It's it's over there. But now I got to like take my machete and I got to like cut away all the brush until I get there. And that's a bit of the work part. But, okay. But when you see that light, when you know that there's like, often it will be a, a, it will be a line or whatever, but the line then is like, oh, what if it's a song about this? Or the song, or you get the vibe or the groove of the song and you have a sense of something larger that's so friggin' exciting. It's like the most exciting moment that, like, for me, that's that was it. That was the first time it happened. It doesn't go away. Every time, every time. I got gotcha. you. Every time I feel the song coming or I think I got it, where I'm like, oh, yeah, I got, there's something here. It's like the ultimate high, man. I feel great, you know. If it hasn't happened for a little while, Everybody in my house knows. <laughs> How do they know? You're grumpy? Yeah, I'm just like out of Get out of my way. Man. I'm just kind of out of sorts. I'm Girls like... take the bus to school much. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Good stuff, man. Well, I saw, I saw yeah. you won an acoustic album of the year. Instrumental. Instrumental, excuse yeah, yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. Is there something about uh, Is there something about that, just being alone and a guitar and your voice? Wait, instrumental. Yeah, no voice. So basically, no, it was just just, just, just guitar. Although, to be honest, I did use my voice to to sketch out the melodies. So, in fact, the the, the process was kind of similar in that I would sit with my guitar and kind of be like, you know, playing chords and then kind of going, okay, what? but I play trumpet. Then I would then take out the vocal part, play it on horn, okay, play well, it on guitar. Well, that kind of ruins my question, not really, but my question was, I, I thought it was acoustic. I thought I read acoustic. My apologies. But the the simplicity of not having anything else but a guitar in your yeah, voice, no, do you love that aspect of I it? I do, but I'm, I, I do. I like it from a performance perspective. I love that intimacy on stage between the song and the people. But when it comes to records, I love making music with my friends. Like, you know, I love quite the opposite like even even during the pandemic what made those records special was just that in fact i was creating them in my house but then sending them to like a drummer who now lives you know in la have yeah who's in toronto and a pedal steel player who lives in nashville leith who lives here in halifax you know all these different people that were playing on the tracks and then they would send me the tracks back it's the best. So man. you would layer them? I, yeah, exactly. Okay. And then I would kind of put them together and arrange them. And then Josh, who was the drummer and the guy who mixed the record and a huge part of the record, would basically like make it sound super pro. I gotcha. He'd put the bow on it, you know? But no, nah, man, it was... I like writing songs. I like playing them by myself. But I like writing songs to be played by a group of people. Nothing like it for me. Like I, it's, It wouldn't be the same. I'm a music nerd. Yeah. I'm a mu- I, I love 
just jamming with my buds. Like it does nothing nothing compares to it. Oh man, I wish I had the talent just to get in a garage and and, and just do it. The, the, have you know? Have you seen the sh- the the movie Martin Scorsese directed it? Uh, the Last Waltz by yeah, the yeah. band. Yeah, yeah. And they're in San Francisco, and it's right before this famous theater shuts down. That is to this day one of my favorite uh, live performances ever. I think it was in 1969, actually, in San Francisco. The band. Uh, most of them are dead now, unfortunately, but that's kind of where I felt. I, I was just hip like growing up. I was just hip hop, hip hop, you know, whatever. And when I got out of college, I kind of started to expand my mind a little bit and go, there's other types of music out there. And I was in a garage in a, in a my buddy's shed and we were having some rum and Cokes. And the next thing you know, he chucks this on and I was just, my mind exploded. I wasn't even on drugs, just liquor. And I was watching <laughs> this and, I was just like, "What the hell is this? These guys are going nuts." The guy on the on the, in the drums, uh, Levi, oh, Levi, yeah, yeah Levi old, Helm, you know, Dixie yeah, yeah. down. Oh, I was just, anyways, yeah. I'll never forget that. Never since that uh, that that day, I saw that DVD. My mind just kind of exploded into into exploring other genres of music, and it's incredible. Well, that's it. I mean, that I think the reason why that is so legendary, why the band. It's funny because I was just telling this my kids. I'm, you know, I'm like one of those guys, the dads that drives around, and listens to satellite radio, and tell, like teaches the kids important lessons <laughs> yeah, on music. Yeah. But I'm like the band, like we're talking. And then, but part of the reason why the band is so enjoyable to listen to is that there's multiple singers. They're great. At yeah. each of their instruments, they're absolutely deluxe, but they sound like a band. They are playing with each other. They are a they are kind of the ultimate band, right? Like they, it's not just one singer who's sitting and everybody's just learning the parts. It's this band. It's this like amorphous thing where you can tell they're jamming together. As you can see on Last Waltz, it feels really. It's very special to watch because you're like, it's not going to be the same tomorrow night. It wasn't the same last night. Every night's a little different. Everybody's bringing their feelings to the table. Everybody's engaging in this art of listening, engaging, interacting. It's incredible. It's incredible. It's like, you know, so it's a unique live experience. And when the musicianship's really high, you get magic. Is it is it is it more difficult to perform when there's more people on stage? Because I'm assuming when more people are on stage, everyone has to be in sync. What's your magic number? Three, four. Well, like I mean, I often tour with three, but I've been getting pretty into big groups. Oh yeah. Yeah, like I did a show last year with ten. Loved it. Oh yeah. Loved it, man. How long did it take to perfect the performance? Not with 10 too long. People? It takes a lot of organization beforehand, and it takes you know you kind of have to, you have to know what you're doing. But my big thing now is like this idea of like. And this guy gets into, you know, you talk a lot about sports, obviously, too. But, like, it's this idea of how much direction is too much direction. You know, what's, what structure do you need and how much do you need to let people breathe? It's like the it's like coaching, right? It's like coaching in a, on a team. Right? you got to be able to throw plays at people, but you also need to give people room to play their game. you got to let Crosby do what he does. You can't cut. You just... Yeah. You, can't, you can't control those elements. You know what I'm saying? So it's so important, like with a band, I think, and I'm learning this over time, and also I grew up in school bands, it's like, okay, we got 10 people. So we got to have some sort of like structure or the wheels are going to fall off. <laughs> but how do we make it sound fresh? How do we make it sound so when Leith is soloing, it's Leith's time to go. You know what I'm saying? When it's a guitar player, so it's that we are a flexible... My thing right now is like, how do you how do you make a band bigger, but without losing that uh, instinctive kind of impulsive ability to adjust on the spot, on the fly, to be able to react quickly? It's super exciting. Three people, yeah, you can, if you've played with them for a long time, you can adjust. You yeah. can make things, you, you start playing quiet, everybody will get quiet. But you get 10 people, how do you get that same responsiveness? It's fascinating. It takes a long time, but I'm, 
I love the challenge. Well, that's what it goes back to what we were just talking about, finding these challenges. Finding the challenge. And that's exactly, that's kind of been one of my things. And I just, I love that because of course, then from the audience perspective, you get this incredible thing where you're like watching 10 people or 50. I'm playing with the orchestra on the weekend with Symphony Nova Scotia. I mean, that's, there's going to be 65 of us on stage. You know, that's a crazy thing. How do you do that? Well, yeah, there's a conductor that keeps things in line, but then you got to also be able to be part of it too. You know, you're, you're on a, you're in a ship together. So if I try to like commandeer the ship, if I try to just go rogue and it doesn't work, man, you're all in it together. You got to, so it's, it's cool. Yeah, it sounds cool. If you can make it work, like if you guys can all be in sync, it sounds like a really That's cool it, thing. That's it, man. Then the, then the audience feels something like big, right? They yeah. feel this like big, these big moments because things are coordinated and everybody's moving in the same direction. Yeah. Just like when a great play happens, right? Like when things are, it's not just one person. Like yeah, you're, you're watching good everything. You're good at the, oh, I mean, I'm, I'm you're just, like a math teacher helping me like five hockey sticks, four yeah, hockey yeah. sticks. What's the, yeah, you're, you're, you're speaking my language. Well, you know what I'm yeah, saying? Like you. when things yeah, are moving yeah, down yeah. the ice and it's yeah, coordinated, yeah, yeah, you're yeah, like, yeah. this is better than a fast break. It's better than guy, a fast break. Terms. You know what I'm saying? I Hockey's not even my sport, bro. I don't know crap about hockey. I can't even skate. I'm trash. Well, I appreciate the help me, uh, yeah. when i get my tutors growing up they'd be like all right justin you yeah, got four yeah. sticks here seven pucks there I'm like, what? that's, good. <laughs> that's, that's good, good though i've um you've won a lot of awards congratulations thanks i've always wondered uh, about the ego when winning awards i've never won an award for this but hockey sure but how, how do you like if you win an award do you have to put your ego in check i heard you know jamie fox said once he won a an oscar for something and he's like i don't even want to look at it i don't want to touch it because when i touch it and i look at it i start to talk like i'm british and i'm royal and just <laughs> i just buy a couple range you know he just doesn't even like it i've always wondered about that being a performer and winning and and, and getting that accolade from from your peers did that ever i don't want to say affect you but was there ever a point of winning that you go okay great but now let's get back to work i i think it's like the big thing is is like i'm a future oriented person so, like, I'm thinking about the next thing. Okay. I'm o- like, that's the, that's the most important part for me. I'm not going to say, I'm also not going to sit here and go, like, I hate winning awards. They rule. It's great. Yeah. Like, winning the Juno this last year was amazing for me because it was at a time where I didn't expect to win a Juno. I thought, I, I didn't know I was in that conversation. I kind of imagined my career looking a little different. I'd moved to Fredericton. I was, have two older kids. I was entering a new stage in my life, trying to make records in a different way. And then all of a sudden, the record wins a Juno. That's very affirming. It's affirming because you're like, you go out on a limb. I was going out on a limb making an instrumental record, going out on a limb moving to Fredericton, going out on a limb making a record for my, myself, you know, like, like taking sending a risk. these tracks. All of these things were risks. So when you win an award like that, it's an affirmation that, like, you know what, you can trust your gut. Mm. But the challenge is, is then not to look at that award and go, Phew. Those were, those were great days. You know what I'm saying? Like, ooh, man, like just one more and I'll be, it's just, you can't, it's just not how it works. It's all about the songs. You just got to remember that it's all about the songs. Like you got to get back to the, the core, the main thing, which is the songs. No songs, no shows, no awards, no nothing. You know what I mean? So if that distracts you from the songs, it's just like Jamie Foxx, if it distracts him from his craft of like, is it, is it going to make him a better actor or is it going to make him, of course, he's saying, I don't want to think about it too much because I'm focused on being the best at what I do. I think that's the challenge with those kind of things, with awards. Like you, you want to be able to look at them and go, great, appreciate it. 
that feels great to be affirmed and to, especially from your own peers. Yeah. But like, what's the main thing here? The main thing is I got to be able to write a song tomorrow that makes me feel good that I'm excited about because can't live in the past. Well said. You know, I so. like that. Have you seen moments in the industry? It happens at hockey a lot where things can happen to guys and they think they're all that and then they just don't work anymore. And then the next thing you know, they, they don't play hockey anymore. And the music industry is a kind of similar. They're so similar, man. Is it? I mean, that's why I love sports. It's like, I, I love, I'm, I don't think I've ever loved sports so much as I do now. And I was like a sports illustrated kid. Like, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like I was, I grew up as a basketball obsessive and then got into snowboarding and stuff and did other things. And then I've come back as an adult to basketball. And I honestly, and I watch it every night now. Like I'm, I'm listening to satellite radio on the way here. I'm listening to preseason interviews and media day yesterday. I'm all in, <laughs> all in. OG. Like, yeah, I read a book, like, took a walk on the beach. He said, they asked him what your favorite thing for summer was. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I love what yeah. happened yesterday. I mean, it was yeah. just media day is ridiculous, but yeah. it's, it's fun. It's great. And, and then, but part of it is, is seeing how because it's so challenging sports is so challenging it is it is there is a it is so demanding there's so much pressure on on these athletes and they have to do it night after night and there's so much criticism when they don't i mean it makes it makes music feel soft <laughs> do you know what i'm saying like you, if if russ westbrook has a bad night Everybody hears about Stephen it. Stephen A. Smith, he's instinctable. Oh, what's he doing? He's making $43 million a oh year. What's he doing? It's like, it's amazing. And my, yeah. and my daughter's part of this now. Like, she's watching these games. My oldest daughter, and we both watch it, but particularly my 10 year old now, we're watching everything right now. And she, she got introduced to Stephen A. yet last year for the first time. And she was like, Who is this? This guy's amazing. <laughs> and he's like, so harsh. But, you know, the point, the point being is that the great ones, they actually handle it. They, 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 they find ways to continue. They find ways to refocus on their game despite all the other distractions, despite all these other things. And sometimes for a really long time, like long, long careers, you look at Roger Federer, you look at LeBron, you know, we're talking about a lot. I mean, right now we're in a, the heyday of sports for long careers. I'm fascinated by that. Fascinated by it because what is it? It's not only physical. It's about mental engagement too. It's about feeling the passion for the game and interest in the game and the physical element. How do you how do you maintain your your health to be able to play? So I'm super into the parallels between sports and music, mostly from a just a from a pressure perspective, from an engagement perspective, and from just like from the excellence mm. perspective. I love watching it. We all do. That's what why that's why we watch it. When you see the pressure on, when the lights turn on, when the pressure is on, certain people get better. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. That is a magical thing to watch. It's why we watch sports. It's when Michael Jordan, that's why he's a legend. When he got the ball, he wanted the ball in the last second. LeBron wants the ball. John Morant wants the ball. And the likelihood of it going in doesn't go down, it goes up. That's magical man the free th free throws at the end of a game like i'm looking at that going ah don't give me the ball like night that's my nightmare dude but it's it's so fun for to watch and it makes my job feel like pretty chill it's helped me that's good i get so much inspiration from these athletes yeah you know from just being like look at how they can maintain their maintain themselves through these extremely 
stressful situations and through criticism and everything else. Like we talk about the shortcomings of athletes all the time, them getting in trouble. And I'm like, yeah, but how about we talk about like how amazing they are? You know, it's crazy. what they Superhumans. They, they really are. And the dedication to what they do is amazing. So I'm all in, man, all in on the basketball. This year is going to be big. I'm, I think we're driving down to Boston, going to see some games at the gardens. Oh yeah. Bringing the kids down. How the Celtics looking this year? Celtics are looking pretty good. Okay. Well, they lost their coach. This for this coach gets suspended. This, uh, I heard about you know, that. So that's going to be an interesting thing. And uh, Williams is out with an injury. Big, they're big man. So you know, it's not looking as good as it was three weeks ago uh, for the Celtics. But they're a great team. Tatum's amazing. Jalen Brown's amazing. You know what I mean? Like they got they got depth. They're good. Yeah. And if they're both playing great, they're 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 a great team. You know what I mean? But I just love. I, I was thinking about going down to see the Miami game because I actually love Miami too. Like I love the. Yeah, I like. I like a lot of different teams. I like a lot of different. You know, I'm. I'm just happy to be watching high level basketball. So, yeah. so I'm thinking about bringing the kids down and seeing some games, just seeing it in person, just because it's so exciting. I've ne- Oh no, I did. I did see one basketball game in my life, uh, the Raptors in Toronto, and it was great. Carmelo yeah. Anthony played. It was the Knicks that were in town. It's a, yeah. It's it's more of a show. It's 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 a. It's an entertainment That's thing right. rather than hockey where it's just the game and intermission. But every time there was a timeout, there's some music, there's cheerleaders. Right. There's, it was a big show, and I, I didn't mind it. it. It was great. It wasn't the best game, but like I was just amazed on the production level of the live event. I've yeah, never seen that Yeah, the pace is cool, and it's quite different from TV. I think yeah. my kids would dig it. You know, again, it's kind of a dream of mine to be able to go down to one of those games. So now I'm thinking, yeah, like it's just more because I'm watching so many games during the year. It's pretty fun. And there's a few other musicians that are pretty – I don't know if you know Rainy Smith, who sings. She she's actually touring with Classified this fall. She's opening the tour, and okay. and Rainy sings with me quite a bit. Rainy knows everything about basketball. She really? she could be uh a, a, you know she could analyst? be an announcer and analyst no problem. She's insanely there. She goes deep. <laughs> it's awesome. So yeah, it's it's pretty nerdy, but I think ultimately it gives me a lot of inspiration just for my own career and keeping my own stuff together. Especially as you see them getting older, having kids. Yeah being parents, trying to manage a lot of different things. I love that. It allows you to focus on something else other than your career. It gives you a little excitement. You know, all right, I'm going to put the, the notepad away, the guitar away. I'm That's just right. going to watch LeBron dunk on some people. I got no stake in the game. I don't even go for a team because, in fact, like I know that sounds like the most unsportsmanlike thing. You got to go for it. I'm like, I don't want to add the stress. I don't want to be just, I'm just like, I want to see a great game. So Let's you don't go. gamble? Don't gamble. No. no. No, I don't. I don't. I've, it's funny because last year, I don't. <laughs> But it's funny because last year I got so into the game and I started to know the teams pretty well. At least, I, you know, and I called, a, I called Miami Golden State in the finals. I was pretty darn close. <laughs> Miami lost by a hair to Boston. Yeah. But I called that in like April and I was like, man. And there was a lot of other teams. Phoenix was looking really good in the West. Like there was, that wasn't the obvious, obvious choice. And yeah. I was like, man, I probably should have. Like I said, I was getting closer. You could want some like, money. Yeah, but I haven't, I haven't gone there. I was, it's funny that you mentioned that because I was driving down today listening to the radio and I was like, man, I'm, you know, I'm starting to get pretty into this. Maybe <laughs> it's just one bet a year. You just predict the finals. Yeah, maybe that's you know? what it is. Yeah, that could be, that could be my speed because it is a fun thing to predict that far out. 
I don't have a prediction yet for this year. I got to see who's actually on the court when the when the season starts. Yeah. But I'm excited about it for sure. I hope the Bucks make a little bit of a run because oh, Lindell Wigginton's there, and he was over here a couple weeks ago. And that guy, man, he's just so excited. You could because he's still fresh to the NBA world, and you could tell when he was talking. He's just on. He's like, yeah, like you know, they cook for me. If I need a suit tailored, they'll do it. Like he was just amazed by everything that the NBA brings to him, and you you could tell that sparkle was in his eye, and he was just hungry to stay there. Nothing so I more hope, exciting to me right now. Yeah. Yeah. Lindell, watching Lindell last year during the playoffs, just even just seeing him on that bench, cheering everybody on, and then him coming up, scoring. Eight, he had a big game, eighteen points in one of the. You know, he is a star, and he's he's a great friend of Rini's. Rini knows oh, yeah? Lindell real well. They okay. they're really close, and so uh, it was a great thing to you know. I I had heard about Lindell years ago before he went to uh, Iowa. Is that where he went? Yeah, he was in Iowa. Iowa yeah. And so I remember hearing about him and kind of kind of watching him in Iowa and being like, okay, this is great. But you know, when you when you start to hear the personal stories and you hear this by interviewing them, you realize like this is a this is a commitment not by only by him, but his entire family, right? The everybody commits to this. Everybody has been all in for a long time. That is a lot. And you watch and you especially last year, you, you everybody could tell like he is one step away from getting there and he yeah. did it. Yeah. And he freaking did it. Got a it's, contract one way. He's not going these one way. He's that's there. right. It's the best. Yeah. And you think about how much time goes into that. How many years, how many basketball practices, how much commitment his parents made when he got sent away and left his, just like, in, like so many sports. But that one was particular because there's not that many basketball players from out here. There's, it's changing, you know. It's coming up slowly. It's coming up. Nate's a great, Nate Darling's a great player. I mean, there's yeah. some sweet, sweet players. Watching Lindell and just seeing, you could tell by the end of the playoffs, those guys like him. There's a good vibe. They're coming off the big plays, and Giannis is going over and giving him a high five. And I'm like, oh my God, that guy's yeah. from home. Yeah. Like that guy's from yeah. here. And then I'm starting to see the Bucks promo stuff. They put out their media day exactly. like yesterday exactly. or two days ago. Yes. And who and he's one of the guys asked. And I'm like, he's in. Like he's not he's, he's with the group. Not 12. Yeah. They interviewed three or four people to say what they did in the summer, and he's one of them. I'm like, that's what I'm talking about. So I mean that that changes everything around here too, right? And he knows that. That's the best he knows part. That. It inspires a huge, huge wave of greatness. You, you'll. It's what happened with when the Raptors first moved to Toronto. Look how there was no when we grew up. Hmm. Rick Fox. Like there was no Canadians. Canadians and then the NBA were like not a thing. Hmm. And then it boom, boom, boom. Now there's great Canadians, like tons. Now it's going to be Maritimers. Yeah. You know, it's exciting. It's so exciting. It's a great time to be from this part of the world, I think. With the economy slowly rising, with the population slowly yeah. rising, I just think I, we've always uh, flirted with the idea of maybe moving to Toronto one day. And I, the, the debate always comes into my head, but man, I just... Toronto's moving here, bro. Exactly. <laughs> we, we, we've had people that have, over the past two years, that worked at sports agencies in Toronto, move to Halifax and start up a shop here. They're like, no, no, no. This is the place really? where you want to be. This wow. is where you want to wow. be right now. Wow. Well, one, no one can afford anything in Toronto. And two, you get way more bang for your buck here. And the talent is just undeniable here. Like the, the sport, professional sports teams that are coming here, the the, the concerts that are coming. It's just, yeah, I, yeah. I don't know. Entertainment in this part of the world, I just think is it's 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 very interesting. To we're me. in a great we're in a great spot, and we yes. can feel it. And it was been built by people who were here. Mm -hmm. You know, it's built by people mm -hmm. like you know Lindell's parents, and and you know the the coaches, the early coaches of those people, and and classified and classifieds mentors like Joe Run, and everybody's got someone in their life that they grew mm -hmm. up with that was like, yeah, we can do this. You can be a professional mm -hmm. from here. That's that's very different than it was even 
20, 30 years ago. It was an understanding that you had to go somewhere else. And more and more people are showing, no, no, you can actually do it. You know, Plaskett and, and Classified and so many different you. artists and so many people. And that's yeah. the idea. And that was part of the reason why I kind of wanted to move home, to be honest. It was like, you know, I wanted to be in Fredericton. And I, I, I part of it is I do want to be able to try to prove it's another challenge. Mm-hmm. Can I do this from a town like Fredericton? It's a little, it's more, it's more out of the way, but it's my home. So let's yeah. do it. Who was your, you know, who who was your guy? Who was your girl that you looked up to and go, well, okay, I can. I think it was early, man. It was really early, and it was a band called Hot Toddy, and it was a guy named Tom Swift who's here in town, and uh, they were a trio. Tom Easley, who lives real close by, bass player, works at uh, NSCC. Okay. And a guy named Joel LeBlanc. They were a trio, and then Fredericton. And I was probably 14 or 15, and they were good. They are still good. They're a, they're great musicians and great guys. And I remember watching them and being like, I want to do that. And they were the kind of people that were like, when I first wrote songs, they're like, let's hear the songs. Let's, let's. Well, they wanted to listen to you. They, they gave me that. They gave me that. And for me, at that point, that was a huge audience. You know what I'm saying? That was that first bit. And then, then as your career moves, you get different... You have different mentors at different parts of your life. I learned tons from, I mean, I made a record with Joel. I learned tons from Joel. I learned tons from Classified. I learned tons hanging out with Afi, you know, in Bahamas and Jill Barber and Rose Cousins. And, you know, there's a list of people that I had that I, I consider colleagues, but it's a, it's, I get so much from them, you know, just in terms of advice and, and, and just an inspiration and, it really then you're part of a community then you're not by yourself that changes everything that's a rewarding feeling being part of the community oh man i remember when global news called me for the first time to ask me something and they were like hey we love what you do and that felt so good just like the media community kind of recognizing high button sports like oh feels good yeah kind of getting recognized a little bit for what we're doing it's it's you're part of something then and then you and then your struggles aren't necessarily only your own struggles sure. then you can kind of do that and you can chat with other people yeah, right you like, call them up hey did you guys email this guy about media passes did you guys get accepted yeah. just something you know it's just nice to bounce things off people absolutely yeah. yeah and that's what that's what halifax has had going for it for a long time in the music community okay i think that was probably the best that's why classified and i met that's honestly why i think that song exists why those collaborations exist is because it was a healthy place to be making music and that there was enough cross-contamination between genres that I was hanging out with classified even though we were making very different types of music you know there was an openness and an excitedness to, to, to just work with each other and try to build something from here and so I think that's really really special and then there's other people younger musicians who are doing that even to a new level you know aquaculture Lance Sampson great musician really really a great community focused guy who's bringing in other people into what he's doing and saying let's go let's you know that has a huge impact yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I recognize that everywhere here. It's a great, it's a great feeling. It's a, other it's, pe- other it's, people are trying. That's right. It's a great quality in, in, in I think in the in where we're from. A hundred percent. I I I love the the live performance of things. And obviously, COVID you couldn't perform, but being able to perform live must have been exciting for the first time when COVID kind of shut down a little bit. Um, did you lose your edge at all performing live when you came right back into it? I was like emotionally volatile which i didn't expect like you cried yeah like i got emotional on stage it was weird yeah no i know it's like that's not weird it's just i don't know it was weird on stage because (laughs) i could feel it welling up and then i couldn't really like shut it it was weird i was playing so this was mid pandemic like i live in new brunswick so like there were points at which i did a i did a show in like last february 
I think it was last February, where the entire country was shut down. The only place that wasn't shut down was like parts of New Brunswick, just because the numbers weren't that high in this particular part. So there I was going to like Perth Andover, <laughs> playing for a small group of people. Actually, it was pretty good, but they were all separated. And it was, I think, like I even called my agent. I was like, dude, I'm the only guy working in Canada. Like this will be the only weekend where I'm the highest paid artist on the roster. <laughs> I'm usually right at the bottom, but that weekend I was the only guy working in the whole country. And I did a number of weekends where I actually was like working in, cause I play a lot in small communities and it was just me and it was, they could, you know, space everybody out and I could make it work. So I was doing it and I liked it. I felt like people needed it and it was safe and good, Yeah. but I remember getting back at it and I was so grateful. There was a feeling of, of gratitude. But also just like you're kind of getting in touch with things that you just haven't gotten in touch with for a little while. You'll mm. be telling a story or an emotional thing and you're like, I'm not used to, to opening myself up in front of people. And and it happened a couple times or you just get, you know, I just, yeah, I, that was the thing that shocked me the most. And it happened like, it happened twice where I just kind of like, I started crying on stage. <laughs> and and then I, pu- I pulled myself together and everything was great. And I think actually, you know, the audience kind of probably appreciated the fact that I was about as real as it could get. It's not like it affected the show in a, in a negative way, but it was more that I didn't have that control that I usually would. I think it's because we were a bit raw at that point, raw emotionally during the pandemic. I mean, it was all yeah. raw. Well, you're pissed off. There's, there's a lot of emotions, a lot of emotions. I mean, there's a lot of uncertainty, fear, you know, whatever, like, especially early on, I'm talking early on as it, as it rounded the corner, I was definitely, but when there was quite uncertain, I think there's just, yeah, you're just, you're, you're raw and you've been with your, you know, there's lots going on. Um, so I think that that was, that was a real thing. And so, and you sense it in the audience. That's the other thing. Like you, you feel what the audience feels in a, in a show, especially when it's, intimate like that and so you you're looking around and you're going yeah i know this is like i put i'll be playing to seniors i'm looking at in in perth andover i'm looking at a group of senior citizens in a in an area that is you know rural isolated they haven't seen their families many of these people i know i'm looking at them and i'm going you probably haven't seen your kids or your grandkids for a year you haven't seen your friends we haven't seen each other we have not been connected and this has brought us together for this one little moment and you feel, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know what people are going through. You can see it in their eyes. You can, you can see the energy in the room. And you can, and so you're feeling that with them. Mm. And I, I think it's one of the most magical things about playing music and doing those. So I'm so glad I did those shows. They were really meaningful shows. Uh, but they were, they were intense emotionally in a certain way from both perspectives. But the laughs were big. And, you know, the dips were big and the, you know what I'm saying? And like, it was like, it was just, everybody was, heart was right there and you could see it and feel it. And it's kind of, kind of amazing. You know, it's kind of amazing, but now it's more like now I'm, it only took a couple shows to get right back into it. And it was a nice feeling to go. Yeah, I know. I know what this, I know what this is. I know how to do this. I, I like riding a bike. Yeah, exactly. And just kind of re- recalibrating the confidence element and being like, you know what, this is what I do. I've done it now long enough. We can do this. Yeah. Um, I, how much time are we at? Um, when I, I need a couple things from you. Okay. Uh, the, how old were you? 2003, 2004, 22. Yeah. 23. Nah, yeah. Okay. Let's go younger. The, the, the 20 year old that's just, how old are you when you finished college? Actually probably 22. Yeah, 21. Okay. Yeah, so right let's right go now. back. 21, 22, the 21, 22 year old out there that was in the same boat as you. 
look into maybe not just music, but just do what they want to do in life and not go a career. Maybe their parents want them or someone else wants them to do. What's your, what's your advice to that person? I think it's, I think about this a lot because I got kids now and I'm thinking about it. I think one thing is, is like to focus on what it is you want to do. Really think about what you want to do. And it's not, just about thinking about what you want to do and being able to really clearly imagine it. It's really important to be able to visualize and imagine what it might look like, but then understand that it's going to be a lot of work. I think that's that. So it's, it's like, maybe I'm like my dad and then I'm kind of like, I'm not going to tell you just to follow your dreams. I'm going to tell you, follow your dreams and work your butt off. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and like, because it's, it's hard. It's hard. There's a reason why these careers are different. There's a reason why these careers are different. If it was easy, everyone would do it. Every, you know, it's they're 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 challenging, and they're challenging in different ways. And working your butt off doesn't necessarily mean just being out doing stuff all the time. Sometimes that means getting into meditation. Sometimes it means taking care of your body. Sometimes it means eating well. You know what I'm saying? It's often it means all of those things, but more like it's going to take some focus. It's going to take hard work, and it's going to you're going to get setbacks. But if you're really committed to it, it's go for it, of course, because you, you only, you, I mean, sounds cheesy, but you only live once, man. You only live once. And if you learn how to work and you learn who you are as a person and you learn how to f- see things through and to move with confidence in the world and be open to, to criticism and open to other people and collaborate, those skills are not going to fail you. Your dream might change. You might not. You know, maybe the thing that you end up at is not the same thing that you visualized when you're 20. But if you are honest with yourself and you move through those stages, I got, I have full faith that whatever, those are all good steps, right? You got to, those are the steps that you make. You become a full, complete person by pursuing those things and taking it seriously and learning who you are and moving through the world in a certain way. So I think it's important to feel confident in that. If this door closes, another will open because you've been really faithful to these these core elements of what you are. Mm-hmm. That's really good advice. I like the one where you said, yeah, like when you're 20 years old and you had the vision of what it's going to be, it's not going to turn out like that, but it could be similar, but just keep going. That's, That's good advice. You yeah. know, I think, it, yeah, it's very I hard thought this to was know. just going to be a podcast, but then it's other things, you know, it's just... That's other, right. You know, yeah. That's right. Yeah. But But you're working hard and you're showing up every day and you're keeping your mind open and you're keeping yourself fresh and you're, those are the things that are... The, the things that, you know, I would tell my 20-year-old 20, 20 self is like, no, 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 have confidence in these. You, you've got good abilities here. Let's go. And if you have a dream, you pursue it, you know, but you, there's a lot you can't control. A lot, you know, you, you for a 20-year-old who last year, they had a pandemic for two years, you know. Toughest age to do go through it. I think so. Oh. I think so. Oh. Yeah, I think like so. Nineteen, like you want to go to the bar, no, like. Just... Well, that's it. Or you're, or you're oh. a hockey player or a basketball yeah. player. I mean, those are huge years. Olympian. That's another. Yeah, we didn't. Yeah. You know, think about. You know, they did manage to have them, but still, like you think about people who lost their Olympic year. That that's a that's a prime time. It's not like, you know. So I think there's there's lots to think about, uh, in terms of you know the things that you can't control, but at the same time, I think if you move through the world with a, in a certain way, that the the world will respond in kind. At least that's how I like to think optimistically. Well said. And but before you go, you had a. You, you mentioned a bunch of things about your career that are really rewarding to you, performing in front of a live audience, being able to, to write a song, getting an award, having other people recognize your work. Out of everything that we talked about for this past hour, what do you think is the most rewarding part of your, your career? 
I think that being, I think this idea of actually proving, even almost myself wrong, like I think the idea of being a dad with two kids in a town like Fredericton with a, you know, a great relationship and that felt unlikely like that felt not unlikely but difficult that was the thing i thought i might have to sacrifice if i was going to play music and ultimately i've always tried to go for this world where i still get to make music with my friends i still get to do this but i don't live by myself in la in, LA, yeah, in okay. a tiny apartment where i'm 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 that's just not my speed i want to walk in the woods every day i want to walk my kids to school I want to, you know, I want to see my wife every day. I want to have a good relationship with my wife. That's my great, to me, that's the thing that makes me most proud. It's like, you kidding me? I'm 41 now. I've like, it's been 20 years that I've been like pulling this off as like. And, <laughs> pulling this off. Pulling it off. <laughs> pulling it off. It feels like a, it feels like a ruse. You know, You're just tricking like, everyone. Yeah, I'm tricking <laughs> everyone because it feels like an unlikely way to have a career. Yeah, gotcha. Most people do it this way. And I've kind of been convinced that like it was the right, you know, I the right you. dedication. I might be able to do this. And I keep on making steps in that direction. And so it's really rewarding. And I want to show to my kids, like, there are different ways to do this. Everybody will tell you there's one way to get there. You got to do this, this, and this. There's different ways. You need to define your own future. You need to define your own, the way, the path. It's going to, it's, you need to do that yourself. And that means saying no to certain things and saying yes to other things and making your choices. But ultimately, if you get to do the thing you want to do every day, it's, it's amazing it's amazing yeah david you're the man that was uh i'm not gonna lie i was not expecting you to to, to come in here and have all these stories i thought i was gonna oh, have to thanks, beat them bro. out of you <laughs> Sorry, like man, just... no dude like you made my job easy you, <laughs> right these on, uh the, man that, that was a great episode that was a great podcast Thank i you. really appreciate you coming on and i think a lot of people in the the younger generation can learn from you you're you're pretty you're wise well-spoken Right on, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, nice man. to do this. I love your podcast. Thank really, you, dude. Yeah, I appreciate yeah. it. And I love yeah. that you geeked out when you came here and you had to take a look at some of the <laughs> stuff. It, I, it, not a lot of people like, I don't know, just not a lot of people understand it. So like, it's just nice when you have like a fan that like, kind of wants to know the, the technical side of things. I, I love that no, stuff. So and, to talk and, about And it. I know how, long, how much work goes into building this kind of thing from the ground up, man. So respect. Appreciate seriously. it, man. Yeah. You're the man. Yeah. All right. Thanks. Everyone listening. Uh, so it's going to be Wednesday tomorrow. So I'll say, I'll pretend like it is Wednesday. So today's Wednesday, uh, hump day, work hard, have fun. Uh, that's all I got to say. Enjoy the rest of the week. We will see you guys later.
Take the brother out for being rude. Hey! And like I said before, said before, I was mad. 